Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. All right. Since Julie's here, since Julie Woolley's here this morning in the front row, um, we were living on Bloomington Street, and I was in elementary school. And Julie's like five years younger than me. Wait, five? Yeah, five. Five? Yeah, five. Four. Four. All right, so she's like four years younger than me. And um, we're playing MacGyver. MacGyver is amazing. He can do anything with duct tape. I mean, he's absolutely incredible. He was my hero. We lived on Bloomington Street, and there was an entry room. This is an old school house. There's an entry room that you could lock the front door and you could lock the door that goes into the main house from the entry room. We had a skeleton key. We had one skeleton key to lock the door that goes into the main part of the house. So I locked and deadbolted the door that was coming in from the outside. And then I locked with the one skeleton key that we had. We were inside of the room. I locked that door that went into the the living room. So we're in this room, we're locked in, nobody can get to us. I'm like, we have to figure out a way to escape, but we have to make it even more difficult. We go into the closet, there's two closets in this little entry room. We go into the closet, we close the door, and the doorknob falls out on the other side. And it's one of those doorknobs, the door, the latch is not functional if that doorknob isn't in. So we're trapped in a closet, in a room that's locked that nobody can get into. And my grandma fell. Uh, babysitting us, which made it even worse. And so I start yelling, I'm like, Grandma, Grandma. And I look at Julie, and I was like, Julie, I have some bad news. We're going to run out of oxygen pretty soon. <laughs> I was like, we are going to run out of oxygen in here, and I probably have the best chance of surviving. So what I need you to do is hold your breath. I literally said, I love my sister. I said, I need you to hold your breath because I'm going to get out of here. One of us has to make it. And I actually kind of believed that. And so she's like, really? And she was like, I was like, you're doing that for me. Thank you. That's amazing. So we didn't run out of oxygen. And my grandma called the police and they had to come in with this ring of skeleton keys. And you know, they had that. And uh, then I had to write a thank you note to the police officer and apologize. (laughs) Grandma Thelma made me do that. But... um, I, I just wanted to tell that story, so I worked really hard to figure out how that might in some way be related to what we're talking about today, <laughs> and I came up with something. So um, some of the most dangerous, you're going to love this, Jay, some of the most dangerous gases are asphyxiant gases, and they're dangerous because asphyxiant gases reduce the oxygen in the air. So it's like methane, helium, propane. And the danger of these gases is a lot of them are odorless, a lot of them are tasteless, so they might be in the room sucking the oxygen out of the air without you even realizing it. There's these invisible, invisible gases that might be killing someone in a room without them even realizing it. So here's how that's related to today. Last week, we learned that these gases aren't the only invisible things trying to destroy us. There's something happening 
at a spiritual level invisible beings who are waging war against our souls. We said last week that there is a malicious being, this dark, foul spirit who has waged war against us. Peter in 1 Peter 5.8 compares this foul spirit to a lion that prowls around looking for someone to destroy. And one powerful way that this lion-like figure in the shadows wages war against our souls is through temptation. There's all manner of temptation. There's a temptation for a Christian to be self-righteous, which is what we regularly do war against in ourselves here at Southside. It's thinking that we are superior in some way spiritually than other people. There's a million varieties of temptations. Well, today's the first Sunday in the season of Lent in the church calendar, and I'll be talking more about this in the future, but it's 40 days leading up to Lent, leading up to Easter, which is meant to mirror and represent the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness before his public ministry. So that is the passage we're going to look at today. Jesus in the wilderness, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. You can follow along in your in your Bible, if you have a Bible with you. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen or you can follow along in your sermon notes. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now the first thing that I want you to notice about Jesus' temptation in verses 12 and 13 is the timing. I want you to see what it is in between. What happened before his temptation? Well, before Jesus is tempted in verses 12 and 13, we see that Jesus was obedient. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. So he was just coming off of a place of making a pretty bold step of obedience to God. Now that happens to us too because this is a paradigm of what we face as Christians who are tempted as well. And as if you are, if you are you know, exploring Christianity, you haven't taken that step yet, you're just intrigued by it, um, it's probably good for you to know this ahead of time so you know what to expect. But sometimes when you take that initial bold step of obedience in some manner, in some way, it is followed by some type of heavy temptation to sabotage what you just did, to cause you to go backwards relationally with God. Another thing that we see is 
that the heavens were torn open and the Spirit was descending on Him like a dove. So we have here this glorious, amazing, otherworldly spiritual experience. I mean, the heavens tore open. The Spirit descended somehow like a dove and landed and remained on Jesus. And then you hear this booming voice that says, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is like a major spiritual high moment. So when, when we were experiencing and all watching in wonder with what was happening at the revivals um, in Asbury, the one thing that I think a lot of discerning and key Christians were beginning to pray about is what would happen after the revival to the people who experienced it. Because that's a real spiritual high. You're, you're not going to be able to live up to that in a lot of ways. But Christianity is not meant to be lived up on the mountain. There's, in the transfiguration, um, Peter, James, and John are up with Jesus on this mountain. And, and it's a crazy moment where Jesus is transfigured in a way where they see that this is really the Son of God. He kind of looks like he would if he were in heaven. And it was an amazing moment. And, and Peter's like, let's stay up here. Let's make tents so we can all live up here. But Jesus shot it down because you, we aren't meant to live on this perpetual spiritual high where we're limping Sunday to Sunday looking for another glorious high that'll help us to putter through the next week get to the next one. It's often after these big spiritual moments that we are most vulnerable to temptations. That's why when we go on mission trips or retreats with students, I'm always, I'm, I always have my eye on what's happening when we get back because it was an incredible time and now we're very vulnerable to the normalcy of life and to being tempted because the normalcy of life doesn't compete with what we just experienced in the field. Or maybe ministry is going along really well and you're experiencing a lot of fruit. And things seem to be going really well. And you're kind of coasting. Systems are in place. Everything's working. Everything's humming. And then what happens is you're tempted in a way to become complacent. Complacency is kryptonite to discipleship. There's never allowance in any way for us disciples of Jesus to become spiritually complacent. That's why over and over in Scripture it says, be sober-minded, be watchful, be alert. It's a state of constant awareness of what's happening in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us. How are we being tempted? So that was before Jesus' temptation. What happened after Jesus' temptation? So these are verses 4, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. After his temptation, Jesus starts his public ministry. But he's still vulnerable to temptation in this. In fact, it's one of the ways that Satan tempted him. If you read like the Matthew account or something, you'll see that Jesus was tempting him to forfeit his ministry. And Satan wanted to make him president or king. 
right before you're about to step into a more intentional way of serving others in the name of Christ, you will face temptation. It will be something that will be an attempt to sabotage your effectiveness, to sabotage your personal relationship with Jesus because Satan loves hypocrisy. He loves putting on the church face when really you know you're struggling with some type of sin. He loves knowing that there's this inner war happening, this inner turmoil, or maybe you already feel defeated by sin, but you're coming in on Sunday morning or you're spending time around Christians and you're putting on the happy Christian face. And you know what that is? That's a slow death. That's miserable. That's exhausting. It's tiring. It's better just to say to some friends who love you, I'm really struggling with this and before I step further into ministry there's something in my heart that needs to come to light because when something is in darkness when temptation or sin is in darkness it grows stronger and stronger tentacles get a deeper grip on your soul but when it's brought to light with other people who will pray for you it dissolves it loses its strength the most courageous act of discipleship you will ever do ever is bring your sin to light. It's also the most powerful thing you can ever do. So now let's talk about this idea of wilderness in verses 12 and 13. Jesus went into the wilderness. Now we know this, this mirrors what the Israelites went through 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus went 40 days in the wilderness. The Israelites were... They failed and they sinned. Jesus made through it perfectly without a scratch. He was the perfect version of Israel so that we can find faith and hope in him because he did it perfectly. Listen to what Michael Horton says about wilderness. This is interesting. He says, streams have become a desert. Flourishing fields have become a haven for jackals. The land flowing with milk and honey surrenders to thorns and weeds. This beautiful creation that God, this, that God made that was once flourishing with all manner of life that was not only providing food, but Genesis says was beautiful for the sight because beauty is restorative. But now it's a vast wasteland. What once was a, a creation in which God made humans and animals to, lit, to coexist in a benevolent relationship. Now they begin to war against each other. It's a haven of jackals. And what once was a land where God promised the Israelites was a, a land flowing with milk and honey was just, is just a picture of pure delight and luxurious um, provision has now turned to thorns and weeds. And so Jesus walks into this desolate wasteland that we've made because of our sin and rebellion against God. He walks into it, ready to do battle with it, ready to do battle with the enemy who is at work killing creation so that we might find hope and life in him and so that all creation can be restored and made even better than it originally was one day in Jesus what is this wilderness a picture of? 
a land that has been ravaged by sin, whatever sin touches, it kills. Whatever sin touches, it becomes desolate. Sin cuts us off from communion with God. Not union, that's permanent. Communion is our experience of His presence and nearness and love. Union is us being a part of Him forever. Communion is us experience the goodness of that union. Sin cuts off communion with God. Because it it pinches the umbilical cord. We're meant to receive life, help, provision, everything we need from God. We have like this forever umbilical cord to Him now. And sin pinches that off so that we no longer receive oxygen and nutrients from God. That's why it's important to follow Jesus' example and learn how to resist temptation. Because the sorriest and the saddest and the worst thing is to be a Christian who has access to all the all that God has to give us and yet is holding our hand over the umbilical cord because we're holding on to a sin we won't let go of. And so we never experienced the benefits of being united together with Christ. And so we start thinking that this whole thing is just a sham because I never experienced any of God's power and joy in my life. Let's talk about the dynamic highlighted about Jesus' temptation. In particular, so the passages in verses 12 and 13. There's a couple of dynamics. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Walt Brueggemann says it this way. These are the two competing dynamics. He says, Jesus is situated between satanic temptation and angelic sustenance. He's situated between satanic temptation and angelic sustenance. So I was at a camp north of Duluth, Minnesota, which is really north. If you're north of Duluth, you are really north. And we were out, and I mean, it's just... The place we were staying is called Wilderness North. We were camping with, there's probably 75 teenagers and maybe 20 adults that were helping lead this, this leadership camp. And we were with wild animals. There were wolves. There were bears. And even worse than both of those were packs of wild dogs. They were very, very dangerous. And so we had to be, you know, there was... There was never a sense of, as one of the leaders, as one of the adults, you were kind of, you always felt a little bit vulnerable, and you always felt a little bit, you were extra alert because you're responsible for the safety of all these teenagers. So we already felt a little bit vulnerable. And the, the last, the second to last evening we were staying there, I had this just horrible nightmare. Now, I, I do believe that there are some dreams that have a spiritual extra about them. And for me, usually, I can tell if it, if it really shakes me in some way or encourages me in some way, and I remember vividly what happened. That is just, it's a way for me to 
be keyed into the fact that, oh, I think there's something a little bit more about this. I better think and pray about this. But that night, I remember having one of those terrible dreams, and I can remember it vividly right now. The next evening, I was going to give the, the gospel presentation talk. So the, the whole week was leading up to this crescendo moment where I was going to be talking about Jesus and what he has for you, what he wants to offer you, life together forever with him. And I was really excited about it. I was ready for it. And then I went to bed. In this dream was, well, I walked out of the, the tent where I was staying and I looked around. I couldn't find anybody else. All the trees that were surrounded by beautiful trees, they were just stumps. It was gray, it was foggy, it was dark, it was scary. And there was just one figure, like maybe, maybe 30 yards away from me that was just kind of looking at me. It was a very dark, scary, gaunt-looking figure. It was very, very intimidating. And for some reason, in that very moment, I wanted to not give the talk. And I woke up, actually, the next morning, and I was seriously, I was so shook by this. I seriously wanted to not give the talk, and I was tempted to go tell the people that I'm not going to do it because I was so scared. Like, you listening to that, that probably doesn't sound that bad, but for some reason, this shook me, and I felt like if I give this talk, something very bad is going to happen. It's just a form of intimidation, spiritual intimidation. I knew I had someone that would back me up and be able to give the presentation, and so I prayed about it. I remember I did some solitude that day, and I remember just telling back to God things that he's promised. You have not given me a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. I believe you more than that. I believe you are more powerful than that. If I can resist this temptation to quit, to not do it, you will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish me. And I started going through a catalog of things that I knew to be true about God. What did Jesus do when he was tempted in the wilderness? How did he respond with Scripture? And there was something about me repeating back to God and saying, I'm trusting you. I trust that this is real. This isn't make-believe. This isn't pretend. This is like, it feels like my life. I believe that you will be with me. I believe that you will protect me. Even in the shadow of the valley of death, I believe that you will empower me to do this. Even though it's very scary, very difficult. Something began to happen where I got to, I, I experienced this inner strength in a way that was my first time in my life where I felt like a spiritual boldness and fervency that I've never experienced. That was God saying, I will strengthen you through this. Don't give in to satanic temptation. That was my angelic sustenance. That was my divine provision. I want to end by very quickly talk about different ways that we experience this satanic temptation. There's a couple fill-in-the-blanks for you here. And I want to tell you what satanic temptation offers to do so you can recognize it when you experience this. There's two things that satanic temptation offers us. The first thing is satanic temptation offers to immediately decrease suffering. Immediately decrease suffering. 
So let's walk through another passage that describes this temptation. It's Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. One of the practices that goes with Lent is fasting. And fasting, like we say all the time, is a way to tell your body and your appetites and your cravings they're not in charge. Immediate relief for Jesus at that moment would have been to have some food to eat. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Satan was also tempting his identity. If you are the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God, not only will you get to eat, but I'll believe that you are the Son of God. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there we see Jesus' teaching on fasting summed up in one sentence. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So fasting is actually feasting. We fast from physical sustenance to experience spiritual sustenance. We fast from food to feast on the word. And that is the paradigm for how we ought to deal with all the ways we are tempted to eliminate suffering, to take the easy way out. All right, satanic, satanic temptation offers to the second thing, immediately increase pleasure. So first it decreases suffering, but now we have temptations that increase pleasure. And our effectiveness as disciples of Jesus is immediately tied to our ability to deny ourselves to unauthorized pleasure. I like how Romans 13, 14 puts it. It says, make no provision for the flesh. This week I, I met with five guys at L Camps, and it's a group of guys that are starting to think about what a men's retreat could look like for Southside. One of them said that, you know, there's what guys need is that 3 a.m. friend. We can call at 3 a.m. if we're struggling with something. And we need help. We need encouragement. We should be able to call someone and know that they're going to answer and walk with us through it, pray with us. Most guys don't have friends, you know? Most guys do not have real friends that they can talk about real things with. I'm blessed that I've got several really good friends. And many of them I've got to spend time with this week that I can talk to real things about and they share real things in their lives. Most guys don't have that. I'm really excited about this group because the one thing that ravages my heart more than anything else as a pastor is that we have churches that are full of men who can't be trusted with power. Because we're playing with temptation. We don't know how to deny ourselves. We don't know how to discipline ourselves to do the things that we ought to do. We do the things that we feel like doing. That's spiritual adolescence. A spiritual adult is someone who's learned to control their passions by faith in God. And who exercises that regularly because they know their vulnerability at any moment to give in to their passions, which is why we fast. 
But remember the statement at the beginning. Jesus is situated between satanic temptation and angelic sustenance. So the good news in all of this is that we have angelic sustenance. And if you look in this passage, and I'll encourage you to look later and think more about these things, but there's a lot of ways that God gives us help. There's a lot of ways that God sustains us. Um, the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove, God gives us the Holy Spirit to strengthen our inner resolve against temptation. God gives us the Holy Spirit to give us a growing appetite for those things that are pleasing to God and a, a growing distaste and distrust for things that aren't. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. That's a huge provision from God. We also have the fact that with the Holy Spirit, Every single time, every single time you deny yourself by faith in God, the Spirit strengthens you for future resistance. That's 1 Peter 5.10. Describing what happens after you successfully deny yourself through this season, this short spurt of a heavy temptation. It says that God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He makes you stronger to deny temptation the next time verse 11 the second half of verse 11 you are my beloved son with you i'm well pleased so we also have the father's affirmation brendan manning says define yourself radically as one beloved by god this is the true self every other identity is an illusion you are an adopted beloved child of god nothing will ever change that you can rest in his love he disciplines us as a father not as an angry tyrant he helps us. He strengthens us. He knows that we're weak. He knows we're fragile. He knows we're dust. and He's willing to help us. That's Psalm 103, 13 and 14. Verse 14, um, or 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. God's given us meaningful things to do. That kind of, that's like the carrot. Like God has given us awesome and amazing and privileged responsibility in his kingdom. And why would we want to forfeit that, that? He's given us dignity and honorable things to do that actually make a difference in people's eternity. Why would we want to forfeit that and become not helpful? The conviction, the statement that I want you to go home with And that I want it to become a part of your like spiritual psyche is that uninterrupted fellowship with God is infinitely more delightful than anything temptation has to offer. You're paying, we're paying, I'm paying a high price with each in every time and way that I succumb to temptation. I am paying a dear price. I'm not being cut off from God because I'm with Him forever, but the sweet, delightful, meaningful, fulfilling, beautiful fellowship that I experience with Him when I squeeze the umbilical cord by not resisting temptation is a heavy cost. Uninterrupted fellowship with God is infinitely more delightful than anything temptation has to offer. God, 
God's presence with you, the experience of his nearness and presence with you is so much better than anything that could tempt you. So much better. And some of us need to quit playing with temptation and confess it to some sisters or brothers who will help pray with you through that. Quit playing with it because what you are missing out on is light years, infinitely better than the small little pleasures you get from giving in to temptation. Uninterrupted fellowship with God is infinitely more delightful than anything temptation has to offer. And if you're saying, I've never experienced like the joy of this type of privileged relationship with God where he's near and I can actually sense his presence, his love, his joy in my life, I've never actually experienced that, so I'm not missing much. Well, there's a reason why you haven't. There's a reason why you haven't. And every time you deny yourself, you get to experience a little bit more of that until it gets to the place where you say nothing is worth losing that. And that's a good place to be. And you're never going to be 100%. I'm never going to be 100%. None of us are ever going to be 100%. That's why there's grace. That's why you can start over at any moment by asking for forgiveness. But uninterrupted fellowship with God is infinitely more delightful than anything temptation has to offer. I'm not coming back next week after this one. I'm just going to have Daniel Ackerman preach. Daniel Ackerman will be here next week, and he's going to preach, and he's an awesome preacher, uh, and you've experienced him before. Actually, I think Daniel is the all-time highest views on Facebook for Southside, so he like crushed me, and he's just a really gifted preacher and teacher, so please be here for that next week, and he'll say something that's not like this. Let me pray for us as our, as our band comes up. Father, okay, so we've established that uninterrupted communion with you is better than anything we can get from any type of temptation. Now, I want you to shepherd us. Because every single person in this room could be feeling the heaviness, the regret of shame. You are not a God that shames us. Satan shames us. You don't shame us. You invite us back into fellowship with you with grace, with love, with a desire to forgive quickly if we just turn to you and confess, if we confess to one another. But mainly, first of all, to you that we've fallen short. Guard us from getting into this cycle of despair and beating ourselves up and feeling hopeless. There's people in this room that feel like they can never get over. They can never defeat certain aspects of temptation. And we always can. There is always hope with you. It doesn't happen over a day, over weeks, even over months. But over years, we become the type of people who taste and see the goodness of communion with you and everything else looks bland. Everything else looks gray and dark. Everything else loses its power of temptation because we've seen and experienced and felt your goodness in our lives. Would you give us a taste of that so that we're not shaming ourselves in our own strength out of temptation but we're looking at you on the cross and in your resurrected being in heaven 
seated at the right hand of God, inviting us into a deeper experience of who you are, a deeper experience of your love. May that be what draws us out of temptation, moving towards something rather than just away from something. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.